Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. You good? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You feel good in your soul? About three people? <clears throat> hey, I don't know how long I'll be up here. I just really want to share a story with you. And um, I shared a little bit of it last week, and I'll do a recap for those that were not here, not up to where we're at. And then I just want to go over a couple of things. I feel like the Lord was uh, is speaking to me. But I guess it was... Um, I don't know. I probably had the book probably maybe close to two months or whatever. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll get a book and I'll just leave it hanging or whatever and then get into it. So finally I decided that um, I'll crack this book open and I'll get in there and start reading on it. Well, I started reading and I just couldn't put it down and I just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading. And then I would have to go do some things or whatever. And so I'd have to take a break and I would put it down. And I shared that book with you last week, and it's called The Prodigal. And it's one of the last, I think it is the last work that uh, that Brennan Manning left behind. That was going to be this, it was a fictional book that he had left behind uh, to show the love of God. And, and so with that, and I shared with you a little bit about that book because um, I'm just telling you, this book has just really got me to the core. How many has ever read The Shack by William Young? You know, if you've read the book, The Shack, you, I mean, it's one of those, if you crack it open, you will not put it down. You will stay with it. It's that phenomenal. And so I, I told Catherine, I said, I would, I would liken this read unto The Shack. I mean, I, really, I literally can't put it down. And I'd read it on my um, iPad, and I knew, that it was, I knew that it was pretty thick. And I was really proud of myself for reading it in two days when I received it in the mailbox. And I mean, seeing how thick it was, you know. And so I gave that book to someone. They said, I don't know if I can knock this out in two days, you know. But anyhow, it's a story. And I want to share this story with you because I believe, I believe that it was no coincidence that I chose this particular book. I don't believe it was no coincidence that I let it lay there for two months. I believe some things were building up. How many knows that God is, is, a, is a master he, tapestry that he's building in our lives. He's building line upon line, precept upon precept. And there is no coincidence it takes, you know, things come in your life at a certain time or things like that. God is working out a far greater plan than you and I can see this morning. How many believe that? And so there was a lot of things that was leading up to me picking up this book. And, um, and so in the book, he writes a story. And the story is about this pastor named Jack Chisholm. And I may be pronouncing the last name a little wrong, but I'm going to call him Jack Chisholm, okay? And so in this book, Jack is pastoring a church in Seattle, Washington. It is a church that he built, and the church is a great success. It's running multiple thousands of people. And there's about 10,000 people gathered every Sunday to hear Jack take the pulpit at Grace Cathedral. 
Not only that, there's campus churches all over Seattle and all over the place that have their own live worship and they're watching Jack on the screens as he preaches the gospel. And Jack's got, he's got missionary work all over the globe and he's, he, he's in the pulpit on Sunday and Monday. He's boarding the jet and he's flying to uh, doing all the stuff that Grace is doing all over the world. And then in this book, um, Jack doesn't have a great relationship with his father. He was privileged to preach his mother's funeral about 10 years prior to this. And Jack was known for his writing. He was an author and a New York best-selling author and he, he was known for the slogan that he had, he had coined a phrase. And the phrase was, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. God loves us and God's full of mercy, but we've got to do better. We've got to get it together. And Sunday after Sunday, people would hear Jack preach and he would preach about, he would preach about, he would preach about the Father. But the Father was slightly angered. And the Father needed us to get our stuff in line and we've got to do better. And so at Jack's, mother's funeral his father asked him to preach his mother's funeral and he's standing up and 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 he takes the pulpit and he's got his he, he he's got his preaching down man he knows he knows when the crowd is going to gasp he knows when the high points are going to come in and he's preaching his mother's funeral and he 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 uses his phrase we've got to do better we've got to do better and all of a sudden Jack's father stands up in the congregation Almost to, almost to make a mockery of Jack or almost to challenge his message. And Jack was so embarrassed by his father standing up in the congregation, he literally walks out the back door um, from, from preaching his mother's funeral. He walks out the back door and he doesn't speak to his father again. And the only time his father calls him, it, the only time he hears from his father is on Christmas Day. He would call to tell his dad, Merry Christmas. Well, this particular Christmas is not going very well for Jack because Jack had been overseas checking his work that he was doing in Mexico and he got, he got, he got held up in Mexico for three extra days and he was only traveling with his assistant. And his assistant was a good-looking senorita that he went against the council and chose as his assistant and things happened in Mexico and she talks Jack into having one too many drinks and Jack has a moral failure. And in today's world of social media, Jack is well-known, a New York best-selling author. He's, he's the people's pastor, and he's a, he's a big shot. He's a celebrity, if you will. And so some people had taken their phone out, did a quick snap of Jack at the bar with the senorita hanging on his side, and it went viral. And before Jack could arrive back in Seattle, news had done broke of his failure and his disappointment to the church. So the church elders come in and deal swiftly because the main thing we got to protect is we got to protect this congregation and we got to protect our image of what we're doing in society. Come on, somebody. So, that, so the elders met with his wife and said, listen here, we're going to offer you this amount of money. You're going to walk out this church and you're not going to speak to any media. You're going to get somewhere in an isolated location and we don't need you in front of the media and we'll deal with Jack. So Jack loses his job. Everything he had built, he had lost in a moment's fun. And um, in a moment of weakness, he lost everything. And so Jack finds himself still with the church's American Express and no money in his pocket. He boards a flight back to Mexico. And he's laying in a hotel room. 
And he's got a bottle of tequila laying on his chest that he is just staying intoxicated nonstop to try to numb the pain. And it's Christmas morning. And it's Christmas morning and he knew on every Christmas that he would call his dad and he would just say Merry Christmas. But this Christmas morning he hears a knock at the door. And the knock goes at the door and Jack knew that it was the hotel staff trying to evict him out of the hotel room because he had done locked himself up and barricaded himself in the room because he knew that the church had done canceled his credit card and he was out of money. But he hears a knock at the door and as Jack's laying on the floor this this, this knock and he hears a voice that's all too familiar and it's the voice of his father Tom and Tom comes and picks up his son Tom never reprimanded his son he never told his son what a failure he was or what a disappointment he was he just simply loaded him up and said son it's time to come home how many knows you can have a roof over your head and still live your Christian life homeless as an orphan come on somebody And so he goes home to his father. And his father lives a simple life. His father owns a hardware store in Mayfield, Mayfield, Texas, a little bitty town, one-horse town. There's a few local pastors there. There's a First Baptist. And his father's attending a Lutheran church. And Jack comes home, and as he's first night there, he falls asleep, and he sleeps literally almost 20-something hours just because he's so fatigued. He wakes up early one morning and he hears his father in the kitchen every morning his father fries two eggs and he has a little toast and he goes to the hardware store and so Jack starts trying to come to terms of how to do life in the small town and how not to operate in his big ministry and finally his father takes all of his money and he hires an investigator to try to find out where Jack's wife is and they locate Jack's wife. She's in Boston. And he's got a little girl, eight-year-old little daughter. And his dad tells Jack, we're flying to Boston. We've, you're, that your wife has agreed to have one meeting with us. And so Jack boards the plane and he's all excited. And he's hoping that when he sees his wife, her name's Tracy in the book, that when he sees Tracy, that Tracy's going to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God and fall to her feet and forgive Jack. None of that happens. She tells Jack that I cannot keep the child from you. But as far as me and you, we're over with. And he has to come to terms and return back to the small town life with his father. You okay? I'm going somewhere with this, okay? It's just taking me time to lay the groundwork. And so Jack meets this guy named Father Frank. And Frank's a Catholic priest. And so he's giving mass on Saturday and just staying in this little town. And Father Frank drives this old Chrysler with a white um, top on it, listening to some good old music back with cassette tapes. And Jack's trying to come to terms of how he's got to get up in the morning and drink Maxwell House coffee because no Starbucks is in Mayfield, Texas. And he begins to question everything in life of everything that he was doing, everything that he thought was grand and great and how he was a great success. And his father begins to talk to his message about we got to do better. And, he's, and he begins to talk to Jack about what he believes and Jack it just has this internal war going on. And so finally his, 
he's, he's at a place where he's going to the bar in the afternoons. And he's sitting at the bar and he's drinking a cold shiner as the book writes. And Father Frank is at the bar with him and he's having a ginger ale on rocks. See, most Christians throw the book down right there. Come on, somebody. But Father Frank, is that's where he does his counseling at the local bar. And Jack's having the cold shiner and he's bottoming it down and he begins to tell Father Frank, he said, I feel like that the call that I received has died in my life. And Father Frank begins to tell him the story of his own life of how the call that he received, he felt like at one time because he had a moral failure with alcohol. And alcohol had overtaken him. And he had, he had struggled with alcohol his whole life. And now he said, there's only ginger ale on ice for Father Frank because I can't handle the alcohol. It'll overtake me. And he said, in my brokenness and in my, in my failure, he said one of the greatest preachers he mentioned that he had ever known stopped by to see him. And Father Frank looked in the eyes of this great preacher and he said, you know, I feel like the call has died on my life. I feel like it's over with. I feel like I'm just, the call's no longer there. And this great preacher looked in his eyes and said, before you walk in your final thing, God will give you a fresh, a new call. Listen, I'm going somewhere. And so Jack... Jack takes these words and, and, and then uh, and throughout the course that they had, his dad had, they don't have a pastor. They just got people that fills in for him at the Lutheran church. And he finally asked, he asked his son, Jack, he said, Jack, would you say a few words this Sunday? By this time, now all the news media knows that Jack's hanging out in Mayfield, Texas. So Fox News is there, CNN's there, and all these cameras are there. And they're, they're watching, they're, they're trying to get an interview with Jack, how, to, how the disgraceful preacher failed. And so they, they, they find out that Jack is going to say a few words at the Lutheran church. And so all the cameras are in the room to see if this is Jack's comeback. He's on the rise, coming back. He's, he's headed back to the mega church. He's just got to work a few things out. And Jack gets up and he says a few words about the goodness of God. He goes and sits down. So they ask him again, will you come back and say a few words next Sunday? And so Jack agrees. And so he's getting his feet up under him. And all of a sudden, his dad, who is dying with cancer, falls ill and he has to be taken to the hospital. And during this time, two cops come up to the door and knock on the door. And Jack receives the papers and the cops tell him, you are served. And there's the papers from his wife, Tracy. She's filed for divorce. What happens is he crashes. And he's drunk at the bar. And Father Frank comes and finds him at the bar drunk. Loads him up. Takes him home. Ministers to him again. Well, we'll just stop with the story here for the sake of time. At the end, in this process, I told you this. There was an elderly widow in town who had come to the hardware store to buy shingles for her house. And two young boys went by and told her that they were going to put the shingles on her house, but they needed her to pay them up front. And what they did was they took her and they stole her money. And so Jack found out this and he told her, he said, why don't you go to church and ask for a miracle? And as, he went to, as she went to church, Jack went to the hardware store and got the supplies needed to put the shingles on her house. And he started out working on the lady's house. And then someone noticed what he was doing. By the end of the job, there was 40 to 50 people gathered on the job site, and they were able to re-roof her house. 
And Jack goes home and he lays in bed and after preaching on uh, preaching on thousands of stages and riding the private jets, he said for one time he laid down and he felt at peace with God and he felt like he had accomplished something that day. And so later on he's he starts again and they build a wheelchair ramp to go into a house. Then they build a carport. And so at the end of the story, the elders call because now the young leaders that were in the church can't make it go. Thousands of people are leaving. They have the, the, the offerings are down. So the elder calls Jack back and says, Jack, we want you back. Everything's forgiven. Just come back. We got your house. We got your car. We got the credit card waiting on you. We got your money waiting on you. Just come back, Jack. And so Jack goes in and he thinks about it. He thinks about the life he had. And now he looks at the life he has now in this little one-horse town. And Jack never returns back to Seattle. He stays to pastor the small Lutheran church. Now, I read this book, and I was just like, my God, man, I cannot put this book down. This book is, I mean, I I read a lot of stuff, and I'm like, my God, this book is just, what is this? I mean, why is this book affecting me like this? And then I just look back over my life of 2019, and I'm like, man, I lived 2019 as a frustrated man. Some of you heard the frustration as you sat in here and listened to it. I was just frustrated on the inside. God, when is, when is breakthrough coming? What does breakthrough look like, by the way? How many know there's people that are after something, this great vision, this grander vision? Most of them can't even describe what they're after. All we know is we just after something. Just after something. Anything got to be better than this. So I go to the Lord on Tuesday. Let me set this up. All I can do is just, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to get in the Bible in a minute to make it legal, okay? So, I listen to predominantly worship. That's a matter of fact, that's all I listen to. And so my son wanted some speakers in his truck, and so we went and got the speakers in his truck. And, you know, I just, I'll be honest with you, when I went and heard it, I was like, man, that, that thing's pretty awesome. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like a little bump on the seat and all this, you know? And so I'm asking this guy, can you turn on, you know, he didn't cut on the worship to show off the speakers when the guy had put them in there, you know. And I said, well, that thing play a little country. And he said, yeah, you know, and he put it in there. And to be honest, I'm just telling you this, and he's sitting right there. But when I saw him pulling down the drive and he had some country in there, I felt just, just frustration rise up on the inside of me. Like, why ain't he got worship on? Why has he got to listen to country? And so he looked at me and said, Dad, I ain't, I ain't just going to listen to worship now. Listen to something. So, so I jumped in his truck with him to go somewhere with him. He had, a, he had some country playing, and his song was on there. I said, man, that's a, well, I like that song. I mean, I really like this song. And so I began to listen to this song. And I began to listen to it. I've listened to it, I mean, probably a thousand times. No joke now. And, uh, and I hadn't even listened to no worship. All I listened to was that song. And I'm like, why do I like this song? It's so much so that when Asher gets in my truck, he said, Daddy, he said, cut our song on. And so I said, listen to it. And so Tuesday morning, I get up, and I go to the Lord, and I'm hanging out with the Lord, and I felt like God just started connecting some dots for me. 
And then Wednesday, all I could do was cry. Wasn't it Wednesday I think I called you and told you? I said, I got, I, you, I got to meet with you. And I felt like the Lord told me, John, your frustration is you're jacking the story. Somewhere, somewhere you let something hijack your system called the imposter. Oh, I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning about the imposter. See, because everybody in this room's got the imposter on the inside of them. And when we go to God and we wonder why God don't answer us, why aren't you speaking to me? Because God will never talk to the imposter. He waits till the real you gets in front of him. And the real you is a broken, jacked up, messed up, sometimes full of sin in your life person. But that's the individual that God wants to speak to. God does not care to speak to some veneer, plastic representation of you. He wants to speak to you, not the imposter. And so the imposter psychologists tell us this, that when a baby's born, the first attribute that enters into that child is trust. So when trust is not there, how do you cope with life? You create an imposter. For the man that's fearful, he'll stay in the gym his entire life to build a bad boy image. Come on, somebody. America's obsession with weight loss tells us how alive the imposter is in the church. The greatest missile ever launched from hell towards Christianity is self-hatred. Golly, this is good right here, y'all. Self-hatred. If you begin to hate yourself, you've already defeated, friend. Come on, somebody. How many knows this? The Bible says we are wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. A scale does not determine my destiny. Come on, somebody. And it does not determine my value or how much God loves me. All right. So, I felt like he said, John, you're Jack. And then this is what I felt like the Lord said to me. You're frustrated because you want to be big. But those that know me, know I say, I, I don't want to be big. Let me tell you this, after 20 years of preaching what I found, those that says I do not want the mic desperately desire to have the mic in their hand. It's the imposter speaking. I don't want it. I don't want to do that. But deep in the heart, that is the craving and the selfish ambition and the lust that lies lurking in the heart covered up. But how many knows this? When we get in the presence of God, the real you is who's there. God sees everything in our life. Nothing's hidden. Come on, somebody. So I want to read this little bit of stuff right here to you. Y'all right? I'm fixing to be done. So I come home, well, I think it was Wednesday. And I come home and I look, Catherine looked at me. She said, You've been in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Heaven knows you can't fool your wife. Y'all, come on, y'all right? All right. So listen. She said, You've been, I said, Listen here, I've connected the dots. I'm, I'm telling you, God showed me something about, it, about myself today that I didn't realize was there. And, and so I got it. So somebody said, well, what's the country song you listen to? The country song I was listening to is by Jason Aldean. It's called The Small Town. 
This place runs 35 mile an hour. Everybody, what you got to understand, everybody's not called to live in Atlanta. Everybody's not called to have a big church. But because you pastor a small church does not make you less valuable than somebody that holds a big church. Come on, somebody. I, I, I sent a message to Pastor Ashley this morning telling him how grateful I am he is in this community, how he worked last night and served at the baseball banquet, and I served right alongside of him cutting meat right there. Why? What this town just saw last night was two preachers not standing at the front of the line to get something to eat. Come on, somebody. But somebody willing to take a towel and serve, which is the greatest identity we could ever have. Come on, y'all. And so listen, everybody's not called to do these things. So what I want to I want to leave us today with the grace to be ordinary. The grace simply to be you because who you are is who God chose you to be. Come on somebody, you were wonderfully and fearfully made. If you big listen here, if try to do what you can but listen here, don't You with me? If you're short we were sitting in the stand one day and John Miller said, I wish I wasn't short. I said, all I can tell you is you were chosen by God to be who you are. You with me? And there's a reason why it's there. Come on, somebody. Don't, don't, don't worry about what you're not. Just focus on who you are. The grace to be ordinary, to live in your own skin. Let me tell you this. How many knows this? How many's ever heard of identity crisis? I'm just in an identity crisis. Do you know who coined the phrase identity crisis? It was a psychologist by the name of Eric Erickson. And he talked about identity crisis. And this is what he said. Your identity, psychologist agrees this, that your identity, 90% of it is formed, not it is formed by how you perceive yourself, how you perceive yourself being judged by other people. No wonder why we got an identity crisis in the church. Because we look to Bethel to compare that as success. We look to the ramp or whoever else you're looking to as success. And what I think we need to do is get the blueprint, what God desires for our life, and just operate in it and live at the end of the day knowing that is good enough. All right. There's a couple of good things right here, and then we're going to get to right here. I want to read this to you about the imposter. I didn't find this till this is another book I had right here. And I opened it after I heard this. And I said, oh my God, there's a chapter on the imposter. Let me read it. So look at this. Every one of us is shadowed by an illusionary person, a false self. Thomas Merton observed. He went on to explain, this is the man I want myself to be. But who cannot exist because God does, it, does not know anything about him. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God, God's will, and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a self-control help but be an illusion. We are not very good at recognizing illusions. Least of all, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves. The ones we were born with in which we feed the roots of sin. 
For most people in the world, there is no greater subjective reality than this false of theirs, which cannot exist. A life devoted to the cult of this shadow is what is called a life of sin. Listen to this. There can only be two basic loves, Augustine, uh, Augustine wrote. The love of God unto the forgetfulness of self. <clears throat> or the love of self unto the forgetfulness and the denial of God. Man, that's good. Imposters draw their identity not only from achievements, but from interpersonal relationships. They want to stand well with people of prominence because they that enhances a person's resume and a sense of self-worth. You okay? Listen to this. Prayer is the death to every identity that does not come from God. Let me say that again. Prayer is the death to an identity, to, to any identity that does not come from God. The false self flees silence and solitude because they remind him of death. Whatever is denied cannot be healed. Accepting the reality of our sinfulness means... Accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. You are not just your strengths. You are also your weaknesses. Y'all right. We are not just our strengths. We are also our weaknesses. Are you with me now? This is why Paul, when he showed up at Corinth, why he said that I didn't come to speak with enticing words of man's wisdom because everything was about power. Come on, somebody. So Paul said, I'm going to glory in my weaknesses because in my weakness he is made strong. My God, this is good. All right, listen to this. This is good right here. Accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. Judas could not face his shadow. Peter could. Judas couldn't live with the fact that he had failed and he had issues in his heart. But Peter found the peace and rest of God that even though he had things in his life that wasn't right, he still knew that he was accepted. Church, I'm trying to help us. Why are you preaching like this? I'm telling you, everybody under the sound of my voice, including the one holding the mic, has something you are trying to overcome in the presence of God. But what religion has told us, we can never walk the line until we get it right. When God says you can come into my house even when you junk on right. All right, listen to this. Listen to this. Peter could live with it. Judas couldn't. The latter befriended the imposter within. The former raged against him. Listen to this. He goes on to write, suicide does not happen on a sudden impulse. It is an act that has been rehearsed during years of unconscious punitive behavior patterns. The inward war. I'm never going to measure up. So how do I learn how to live? What do I do? My God, I realize that God done showed me. I've got an imposter. You know what the imposter, the imposter in me loves? He loves recognition. Come on, y'all. Y'all sitting here like stuff on log. That's all right. Hear me? 
what I had to, my, my imposter believes that it is his responsibility to grow the church to make it a success because we're not a success until we go into a building program to build a larger building. How many knows that that is not defined success? Come on, somebody. Let me tell you about some successful men that stayed in the local church and pastored that thing for 50 years, that married their kids and buried the elderly and stayed faithful to the call of God on their life. Those are the men. Come on, somebody. And somewhere along the lines, what we do when we look outside of these things, one of the things that Stanton come to me in, in December, and really at the end of November, a national leader, whom you read his books, you watch his stuff on YouTube, and you listen to his podcast, wanted to meet with us. He's going to block off an afternoon on his calendar. That's Grant. Loved to stood in his office and took the picture and added it to my office. If you know there's not a picture one in my office. Hardly. Not knocking the pictures. But I'm saying this. Even when he comes to me and says, well, I've got the book called The Homil homiletical plot is that correct and it's just showed me how to develop a message let me tell you how to develop a message you lay in the presence of God and be authentic who you are and that'll draw people unto God more than something you've rehearsed over a desk and that you pulled five pieces out of one book and six pieces out of this book and you put it together what God is looking for authentic people come on somebody I was sitting with a leader the other day and he said I'm almost through with my seminary and he said I don't know if I should go on and get my doctorate I said let me tell you what I've learned along the way it don't matter if you go get your doctorate or not all people looking for is a real man with real struggles but found a real relationship with God and you stand with integrity and character and faithfulness to the call of God on your life. You don't have to worry about how much education you've got. Come on somebody. People are flocking to hear that kind of message. People are tired of coming in churches with real problems and we're talking about anything else besides what's really going on. Alright. So this imposter, how do I, what do I do? First of all, I recognize it. I begin to drag that person in front of the cross. The goal is not to kill him, but the goal is not to let him live and rule my life. You with me? The goal is just not to let him be the person that I want to see. So I said, okay, God, what are you asking me? Things got a little deeper. This is me and the Lord. Things got a little deeper. And so I had to come to terms. How many's ever seen Tombstone, the movie? Yeah, there's a lot of cussing in there. Don't watch it with your kids. I've seen it a hundred times, okay? Glad to go watch it to see it's a man's movie. You know what I'm saying? And so at the end of the movie, you remember that Wyatt goes by to see Doc. And Doc's laying in the hospital ward. And he's dying of tuberculosis. And he comes by to play cards with him. And he throws the cards up there and he says, Okay, Doc, what, you know, what do you want to play today? Doc looks at him and he says, I don't want to go I don't want to play today. And so Wyatt gets aggravated and he counts the cards and throws them on Doc. And so he tells him, I don't want to play today. And then this is what he tells him. He said, if you was ever my friend, you would leave. Don't you ever come back. Remember the, the lady Josie? You would go make her your own and live life. And finally, Doc looks at him and says, Live and live for me. This is the image that's coming after this question that the Lord asked me. All I'm just trying to tell you how it played out in my own personal time. So, I felt that the Lord showed me something out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that I'd never seen before. 
and I've given my life to study this subject. I've been at it since I was 18 years old, and I want to share it with you before I leave today. And this is what I felt the Lord asked me. He said, your frustration, because you're not, you want to be big. What if I called you to the small town? Would you give your life for that? Well, I didn't want to answer him straight out, because I mean, sure, I, I say that all the time. You know, I've always loved the small town. I love the fact that you can throw the dog on the back of your truck and run up to the store, and you ain't got to fight traffic. I don't mind going to Atlanta, but my favorite place was when it's in the rearview mirror. You with me? It's like, who are you, man? I mean, who, who, who are you? And this is what I felt like he told me. I felt like the Lord said, will you, will you give your life up to stay in a small town and just raise up young leaders. Well, see your heart cries, yes. But the inside you like, but God, what about me? What about me? It's not about you. It's about him. Come on, y'all right? So I get with Stanton. It's a call on our life is different. And I looked at him. And he noticed right the time he got in the truck I had Al Dean on. You know, I saw him look over there. He's like, Lord, Pastor's done. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and he hadn't been around me that much. And I looked at him and I told him. I said, I don't know about you, but let me tell you what my call is. I'm called to live in the small town. And I said, I'm going to give my life up to make you and you and you a success. And I said, you know what? When my funeral's rolled in here, there's probably not going to be nobody you've seen on TV. But I'll be fine. You with me? I'm not listening. I'm just trying to tell you what I feel like God's trying to say to us in this room. I do, I'm just, don't, don't look at me as on this, okay? Don't nobody cry for me. God's going to make sure that I got plenty, okay? I understand if a man loses his life, he shall gain it. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm not talking about something crazy here, but I'm trying, trying to tell you that something that I believe I allowed to get in this room in 2019 is a thrive to get beyond where we're at. I love where we're at. You follow what I'm saying? There's no pressure to get anything or get anywhere. Buddy, we're running over 100 kids on Wednesday night that we're sowing into their lives. We don't need to get nowhere than beyond where we're at. Hear me? God never destined a big-time deal here. It was never destined to be some big, fancy show. It's to be an apostolic movement. And I don't know, so, so I go on and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he said, you get your Passion Bible out and you read Brian Simmons' notes out of 1 Corinthians 4. And I found it. Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1, he says, Don't look at us as some small sect of leaders, but look at us as servants entrusted with the mysteries of God. That word servants right there is, is an unusual Greek word that he chose to use in his writing. And this is a Greek word, and I'll butcher it because I, I'm not no 
no Greek and Hebrew lexicon leader, okay, theologian. But the Greek word is like hermelites. And it literally means a subordinate, one up under. And it is, it is classical Greek to show the picture of what a leader that has been entrusted with the mysteries of God, the apostolic, it is a picture of a man that sits at the bottom of the ship, the lower class. It is the man that sits on the bottom rungs in the ship and he rows the ship. He rose the church and he rose the region closer to what God is saying. Listen, God never called us to be seen out on the balcony of the ship. I can't get nobody to help me up in here. Listen, maybe this is not what you want. Everybody don't like this. You know what I'm saying? That's why people are looking at Damon and saying, why would you use the gift on your life to live in this country hick town of Batesburg, South Carolina? But here's the deal. The other way we've done it is, listen, we make the leader great. We let him sit on top. We let him see. We send our tie to the great king, Alabua, whoever sits on top. And at the end of the day, when he drops dead, the microphone falls, and there's no legacy to keep running. And what I found legacy is not what you leave to someone it's what you leave inside someone that you model a life so I believe God's trying to turn this thing he's trying to turn it not only here but all across you with me call Damon see if he'll travel to your church see the real you is who you would be without the opinions of others with absence of lust in your heart, absence of ambition in your heart, and the abs- in absence of the money people's throwing at you to try to buy you and who you are. Who's the real you? That's the person that God is looking for, and He's wanting a grace to be ordinary. Now, do I believe I can preach? Yes. I'm not some walking in false humility that I can just barely speak, you know, I could sling it with anybody. And so when I go to Columbus, Ohio, and I hear the word, I'm fixing to spread you like butter. Listen, let me tell you what flashed through my, my thought. You know what? Hey, I'm going to reside in Adel. When, let me also interpret this, because you, you got everybody, everybody's got stuff rolling through their mind. I will never be conformed to some small-town redneck theology. Go look at my library. Hello. Go look at my library. I ain't just Bill Johnson up in there. There's some Carl Barth up in there. Get you some of that. Go read you a chapter of Carl Barth and come talk to me and see if you can explain what you just read. You with me? Go get you some Abraham Heschel and sit down with that called Wonder and just sit in the presence of God and look at that. So... But there's a grace just to be ordinary who you are. And so I go home and tell Catherine, let me go back to this. So this is what flashed for my eyes. We're going to reside in Adel. I've done give up all this stuff that I give up to, to get in ministry. But I'm fixing to go see the globe. I mean, I'm fixing to be in demand. None of that happened. Nobody demanded anything. A friend wouldn't even let me preach. We got people called to church left and right talking about, can I, how can I book Stanton? 
I'm like, why y'all want the student? I mean, the teacher's available. <laughs> he preaching last night with an interpreter. I mean, he doing it. Doing the stuff. That's not the call of God. And here's the thing. I believe until, until we could come in a place and accept who, what God called us to be. It's others. That God just called us to hang out. In this, in, this, in this backfield and just obey the call of God on his life. And what's on the call on this church is not what's on Bethel. It's not what's on Karen Wheaton. It's not what's on Rod Parsley. Come on, somebody. It's what's the call of God on Sparks, Georgia, and that's what God wants us to be. So the song starts out, we proud of the name upon that water tower. We proud of the name. You with me? Georgia don't never get no love when it comes to the Braves. I know, listen, because they let us down a hundred times. They did do it. They did break the ceiling in 95. The Falcons had the epic collapse. Come on, somebody. We was all celebrating. We done popped the bottle on the champagne, and Brady come back and got us. But I was born and raised in South Georgia, and I love where the fact I was raised, friend. I love this city. And I told God, by your grace and mercy, I want to be 75 years old. And I want to have a Hornet jersey sitting on them stay in them stands. And I want to be cheering these kids on this community. I believe it's possible. So here's the deal. So when it comes to the apostolic, what we thought was the apostles are these men with the great calls. The prophets, they're somewhat called to this level. The pastor's all, he's just someone that can't preach, but he's married to the flock and he's holding it together. And the teacher's always aggravating us because he's got to have the facts correct. You with me? And the evangelist is always aggravating us because he's wondering why somebody ain't winning the lost every week. But the apostles, their father's inside the body, and these are the great ones. If you go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it don't talk about nothing about an apostle being a great one. Hello. Y'all looking at me like Cal in the New Gate. What is it? Paul said. Paul said, the Bible said, not some apostolic network. Come on, somebody, not something you got off the Internet. Paul said, I guess God has called us apostles to be at the end of the procession. We're never going to raise up leaders and a youth movement that's going to shape a nation. Come on, somebody. Till we get, we're celebrating Martin Luther King this weekend. Come on, somebody. Where's the men like that on the last night he preached? He said, whether for me, whether longevity is for me, who knows? All I know is I've seen the king and the coming glory. I'm not worried what tomorrow holds. I just want to be faithful with the mission. Come on, somebody. Where is the leaders like that, friend? Before we ever get sons in the house of God, we've got to get fathers in the house of God. And we've got to have men willing to sit at the bottom of the ship. If we can get at the bottom of the ship, I believe God will cause the grain that we have never touched and the wine that we have never drank will find itself at the bottom of that ship. Well, want to be sons? just got to get me a bunch of sons. If I get me a bunch of sons and I can get them to tithe, you know, according to the order of Melchizedek, don't get me started right here. God pulls some guns out on this stuff. If I can just get them to tithe to me, if I can just get them to tithe to me, then we're going to become a success. Friend, that ain't nothing but a marketing scheme of a pyramid system. I'll say this with full confidence and back it. You know father because a father lays up for his children an inheritance. 
A father don't steal from the bottom that rise up to the top. The father trusts his father in heaven as a provider, and he sends it down to the bottom. Come on, somebody. This is where the church is going. So here's this. Paul said, I guess, speaking of us apostles, he said, we're the scum of the earth, the skags of society. So what are you saying? I'm telling you there's coming a scum of the earth movement of nobodies. They're just, let me tell you this. Thomas Merton, the great, the great monk said this. True spiritual growth is when you can be satisfied with the ordinary. God is not found in the search of deep spiritual insights. He's found in the everyday ordinaries of life. The greatest revelations is just when I was just being me, slinging a fishing rod on the front of the boat, taking my kids in the woods deer hunting. That's what we love to do, friend. I'm telling you. All you got to worry about is just being who God called you and learn how to do life, ordinary life, in an ordinary town. For some of you, you, I know that we've got multiple towns present up in this room. You follow what I'm saying? There's different cities present in here. But I'm telling you, we have got to ask God for deep love for the place that he planted us. We're willing to live there. So I sent bad a text. I'm crying and weeping. And he don't, I know he's, I just pray that we got the courage to walk it out. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to stand up and preach it and holler. It's another thing to walk it out and live it out. You know I just lost my brother-in-law. And so, I mean, there's a lot of fresh stuff on there about death and all kind of stuff. So I said, Where, wherever, you, wherever the Bass family going to be laid, I guess I'll be laid at your feet. And so he just said, tier four. <laughs> and I don't know if I can put up with that laying to the resurrection, you know, when God calls it home laying by bass you know I just think there's got to be a grace to come on us y'all just to be simple just to be ordinary so you want to know who I am hey I'm no great apostle I'm no great evangelist I'm no great preacher I'm a country boy that was born May 2nd 1979 in Bacon County I was born again on February 2nd of 1998 and God changed my life I love, I met a little simple girl in February of 2001 in Baxley, Georgia, by the name of Catherine Grantham. And I'll never forget the night she was dancing to C.C. Wildham's Alabaster Box. Long blonde hair. Man, back then, I was chiseled. You know what I'm saying? And I knew it. Back then, I didn't wear the shirt untucked. I had this, the silk shirt, you know what I'm saying? With no collar on them, just stuck to the body. I stretch preaching, you know. <laughs> when you bowl it down, what's all we ever wanted? Presence of God. If we can maintain that church, we'll be a success. You gotta learn how to say no to all the other. Just be who it is. So a guy, I had a call said, hey, John, we're going to give you, we want to give you an ordination and a degree from university. 
I thought, man, this is going to look good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're going to have some. You know what I'm saying? Not one time did God ever tell me, I want you to have that. You know, Chris Valentin, who teaches, who leads Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, was offered by one of the leading universities in this nation a doctorate degree. And he was all excited. They had went and bought a suit and all this to receive his doctorate of education in. And he went to the Lord and God said, I never told you you could have a doctorate. I thought what I did on your life was to show the common man that he could be anything that I've called him to be, even with no education. And so he had to call the university and say, I can't have that. What does God want? God wants you, friend. To live life as an imitator means you forfeit your own purpose. God needs you, Mr. Harry. God needs Steve Batts, as rough as he is. I know I'm picking on him. God needs you, Cleve Edwards. We reside in Sparks, Georgia. We are a family of lovesick worshipers that only want one thing, and that is his presence. We want to see transformation come to every family in this room. Is that not your goal? That's our heart. Stand this morning. If you want to read a book that's awesome, for those of you that come to the cabin, this be mandatory. I'll give you a test on this too. The first three chapters of Wreck Your World in this book. And it's called Big Time Ministry by John Bagley. It's called Abba's Child, Brennan Manning. What are you not, what am I not saying? I'm not saying that there would not be people of great influence in this room, but that would not be the focus. I'm not saying that I will not travel, but that will not be the focus. focus will just be residing in this community, doing life, loving people. Seeing lives change one person at a time. When you had the, when we had the little Halloween party and you seen Tay-Tay run in my office, six-year-old, and at anything he could have dressed up, he dressed up as a preacher. That's, that's what we're after. You with me? Father, I thank you. How many feel good in your soul? You awful quiet. You awful quiet. How many really feel good in your soul this morning? How many believe that God, God loves you the way you are? How many believe he needs you just the way you are? You with me? There's a grace just to be the ordinary. Get off the, the treadmill or the rabbit wheel or whatever you want to call it, hamster wheel, I mean. All right. Father, we love you today. We love you with all our heart. We're so thankful for the call and the grace upon our lives. We thank you for this great community we live in. I thank you that I stand here this morning proud of the name on that water tower. I thank you that we're hornets in this room. There ain't no blue devils, and there sure ain't no bearing rebels up in here. This is all hornet country here. Sorry, Chris. Listen to this. I know that you're proud of your hometown when I went to watch Grant and them play against Barry. Jake Edwards was sitting beside me in the stage. 
And he said, Daddy, looked at Cleaver. He said, Daddy, we beating them good, ain't we? And he said, that's good. We beat them rebels. This is the place that God planted us, church. Acts 17, verse 26 says, God chose your boundaries and your dwellings. Did he not say that? He chose our sphere. And he planted us here in this community. Let's love this community. Let's love the people of this town. Let's love one another. Let's love the churches in this town. There's some great men and women of God that are leading the church in this community. I stand this morning with full confidence believing God's going to do a massive transformation of our city. Do you? Don't compare yourself to others. Stay who you are. I joined with somebody to fast. Been fasting for a good bit now. And I was so excited this morning, I jumped out of the bed. I said, man, I mean, we ain't ate enough to keep a hound dog alive. Jumped on the scale and I gained one pound. I just looked at God and laughed. <laughs> I told Captain, I'm breaking fast, eating whatever. I'm fit to go eat four cakes in Jesus' name. No, I'm playing. Father, I bless these people this morning. I thank you for your goodness upon our lives. I thank you for your great mercy and your love for us, Father. I thank you that each one of us in this place were wonderfully and fearfully made. We were called according to your purpose. God, I thank you, Lord, this morning that we're not just our strength, but we are our weaknesses. I thank you this morning that we are aware of the imposter that rises within us. And, Lord, this morning we're not going to hate ourselves, and we're not going to hate that part. We're just going to take that part to you and and bring him into the presence of God where, therefore, you could slay that thing in us. And so, Father, we just thank you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Hug somebody. Love on them. See you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.